Romans chapter 6. Tonight we're going to look at Romans 6.23. And then on Sunday morning at the sunrise service, we're going to focus on the other half of Romans 6.23. And then on Sunday morning in the 10.45 service, we're going to look at the whole of chapter 6 that leads us into Romans 6.23. And I know that not everybody will be able to attend even two of the services, but for you all who come tonight and to anything on Sunday, hopefully you're going to be blessed and strengthened in the faith as you see uh, us giving more and more time and attention to this. Romans 6.23 is one of those most familiar Bible verses. It's one of those that you are taught to memorize when you start learning Scripture, especially if you want to have conversations with people about their need for Jesus. Romans 6.23 is the final verse of chapter 6. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 is some of the best passages in all of Scripture. They're very detailed and thick. And so Romans 6.23 finds finds itself right there in the middle of a great discussion of all of what it means for God to offer salvation to people like us. We're here tonight for a Good Friday service. Christians are Sunday people, aren't we? Good Friday leads us into Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday is a special day. It is arguably the most important Sunday of the year for us. It'll probably probably be the biggest attended Sunday that we have of the year. We put a little extra effort into it. We have that sunrise service. We don't have our Sunday school groups. We offer a breakfast. It's a special day. But what makes Easter Sunday so special is the very reason that we worship every Sunday. I hope you've thought a lot about why we do church on Sunday and why we go to church on Sunday. That, we have a short drive to church from our house But I have had that conversation with my kids hundreds of times in that short drive. Why do we go to church on Sundays? And the answer that I want them to know, that I trust that they would answer if you were to ask them that, is we go to church on Sunday to worship God with other people. Because we always worship God. We worship God on Fridays, we worship God on Mondays, mornings, evenings, we worship God all the time, right? He is worthy of everything that we are. We always worship him. But there's a set scheduled time when other believers gather together to worship together. You can hear the word anywhere you want to. You can read the Bible, you can pull up uh, sermons online, you can do that by yourself anytime. But churches gather together on Sundays. And we get that because the New Testament says they gathered on Sundays. And so that's the very thing that makes Easter Sunday so special is what we always do. Every Sunday for Christians is a resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday for believers is Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty, he lives. That's what we do every Sunday. Every Sunday is a worship service of our risen, living King Jesus. And this helps us see how special and meaningful this service tonight is, a Good Friday service. 
We don't need one of these every week out of the year. We do need to meet every week out of the year like we, like we do. But we don't need a good Friday service every week out of the year because in the resurrection, the very thing that Christians are built on and empowered by, the living Jesus, we celebrate that the resurrection has overcome the cross, Right? The cross is absolutely essential and critical, and we never minimize, dismiss, or downplay the cross. Paul says we preach Christ crucified. We love the cross. But because it is the death, burial, and resurrection that brings together all of what Jesus has done, because it is the cross and, and, the, and the resurrection, because of that, the death and the resurrection, because of that, we don't have to do this every week. Because we worship a risen Savior. And that helps us think more accurately about a Good Friday service. He died, but he lives. He's living right now. He is alive. And so, it's Easter weekend, this holiday that we have, where we have a Good Friday service, where we take a little step more in the direction of focusing on the resurrection by now focusing on the crucifixion. May that serve us well tonight. With all that being said, it is wonderful that we do this. I, I really like these special services. We do a Christmas Eve service. We have some other services that come up throughout the year. But the Good Friday service is special because we are going to do something that we don't normally do at any service. We're going to try to focus more so on the cross and less so on the resurrection. We have a Friday service to focus on the death of Christ so that Sunday we will be able to more so focus on the resurrection of Christ. And the passage we're going to use is Romans 6.23. Look with me here. At this final verse of Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Tonight, I want us to look at just that first half. The wages of sin is death. Now to really, really, really understand this verse, you have to understand the whole chapter, and we're not going to get into that tonight. That's what we're going to get into tonight and add it in to Sunday. But I just want you to know that it's really hard to just take one verse out and talk a whole lot about one verse. You've got to understand it in its place, where it fits, in its context, in the, in the whole setting. But what you will see in verse 23 is that this is a key verse. It's one of the reasons why it's so good and it's, it's memorized by so many people. This is a very key verse. Romans 6.23 is trying to like put a little bow on all that Romans 6 has been saying. And let me show you. There are three contrasts in this verse, okay? And I'm not going to talk about both sides of the contrast, but I want you to see them. We'll talk about it more on Sunday. There are three contrasts here. The first is the wages with gift. Does everybody see that? It says, for the wages, and then after the comma it says, but the free gift. So you got wages and you got a gift, a free gift. Okay, that's the first contrast. The second contrast would be sin with God. It's the wages of sin, and it's the gift of God. Everybody see that? And then the third would be death 
with eternal life. It's remarkable. Remember, the guys that wrote these passages in Scripture were inspired by God. It was literally the power of God and the the inspired, breathed-out Word of God working through them as they wrote it down. God empowered guys to write this down, and so it's masterful. It is so rich. We can hardly even dig deep enough to see all that the treasure that there is in God's Word, but little things like this help us. These contrasts are rather obvious, aren't they? It's Romans 6.23 that probably half of you all have memorized at one point in your life, and you never thought much about those three contrasts that stand out. Wages contrasted with a free gift. Sin contrasted with God. And death contrasted with eternal life. Tonight I want to focus on the three that are on this side. The wages, the sin, and the death so that you and I would feel who we are in light of what Jesus has done. That's the goal for tonight, that you and I would feel who we are in light of what Jesus has done. So the first thing here are the wages. Verse 23 says, for the wages. That's a neat word. We don't use it that much. When I start thinking about wages, I start thinking about like something that you earn, something that you get. When you think of wage, where is the most common place that wage is used in our lives? And it is with how much somebody gets paid by the hour, isn't it? In 1994, when I was 14 years old, my parents made me get my first job. I got a job at the local grocery store right there in Matthews, North Carolina, and they started me off at $4.25 an hour. That was minimum wage, which means they paid me the least that they were possibly allowed to pay me. I bagged groceries, I took them out to the car, and I learned to serve. And I've been thinking on that a little bit. If I worked an eight-hour shift, shift, if I worked an eight-hour shift, then I made $34. If I worked all day, I made $34. $34 would hardly cover me and Val at McAllister's right now. That means that if I worked a 40-hour week, I made about $160. That won't cover one pair of Jordans. But that's what I think of when I think of wage. It's how much you get if you do this. And that's the way we think about it. And that's good. It, it, it's what you get. It's, it's, kind of the, it's kind of the payment for it. And that's a good way to think about it. Except for, in the Bible, God has taught us really, really clearly that you don't earn anything with God. And so, if you go put in your eight hours, you know that they have to pay you for that, right? And so, there's this idea with wage is that you you earn it. And so, if you get paid $4.25 an hour and you work a full hour, they have to give you that $4.25. You see what I'm saying? It's an earning it. But the Bible teaches us over and over again that you don't earn it. And you're going to remember that on Sunday when I start talking about the gift is from God in salvation. So here he's talking about a wage, and it doesn't so much come as like the payment as it, as it comes as like the consequence. With wage, we say, if you work, you get this payment. 
But with the sin and the sins that we do, he uses here the word wage, but it's not so much you earned it as much as here's the consequence of it. We need to feel that, especially as we get to the end of the sermon today and start looking to Sunday of, okay, what did Christ do? Where does he fit into this? So our first word here is wage. It's what you earn. It's what you get for what you've done. Except for now in the negative, it seems to be a consequence. That's our first thought, wage. The second is sin. In verse 23 it says, the wages of sin. And there you see even more so, this is not talking about earning it. This is not talking about earning it. This is talking about the consequence of you doing the very thing that you were told not to do. Sin is anything that is against God. Sin is rebellion. Sin is defiance. Sin is when we live without honoring God, without treasuring God, without loving God. Sin is when we disobey God. And we disobey God in different directions. You've heard this before. We sin against God with omission and with commission. There are things that we do that we should not do, and there are things that we should be doing that we are not doing, and we sin in both of those. And there is a wage to sin. There's a consequence to it. Studying sin is not very popular, is it? I think there are a lot of people that don't even want to go to a Good Friday service because it's going to focus more so on sin and the result of sin and death. I knew that. I knew that coming into today. I knew that all week thinking about it. I know that if you have a service, it's not going to be as upbeat or as positive or as exciting uh, as Sunday's sermon will be that a lot of people aren't going to be as interested. But we need to understand sin well. And so here we are. To help us think through the various ways that sin works, I want to give you five different examples. And you don't have to turn to them. I think you'll be familiar with all of them. I just want you to listen. The first is with Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God says he commanded the man... You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You've heard that before, right? You can eat of any of those trees, just that tree there, do not eat of that one. All right? Then this happens. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? You see here an example of sin from a lot of different perspectives. First of all, they just did not do what God told them to do. Okay? They just did not do what God told them to do. They they did not listen. They did not obey. That's clear. But how they came to that, okay, is even worse looking. They started to reason in their minds with the very thing that God said, and they elevated themselves above God's reasoning, and they put their own reasoning on it. This is so common today. Well, God says this, but I think this, and I think this, and you know, it actually looks good. It can't really hurt anybody. There's nothing wrong with it, and we go that way. But I want you to see here, after the fact of this sin, they were really in a bad spot. One, they were now hiding from God. One of the clear signs of sin in our day is that there are things that we don't want God to see or to know about. The people that have even the slightest belief in God don't want God to know about it, so they hide it. Other people don't want to believe that God is real so that he wouldn't know about it. They're hiding from God. But sin is ultra complicated, and so not only are they hiding from God, but this husband and wife that loved each other so that weren't even aware that they were naked together or didn't think that being naked together was a wrong thing because at that point it wasn't a wrong thing. Now they're covering themselves up. Think about that. This husband and wife who were created there to be naked together are now covering themselves up. This one little sin of not listening to God has created a whole bunch of stuff. The whole world is then under a curse. That's our first example of sin. Adam and Eve, them not listening, them reasoning with God wrongly. That's the first example that we can relate to. I want to show you another one. This one comes from the book of Judges. And this is what we see throughout the entire book of Judges. It is very redundant to prove a point. At Judges chapter 2, verse 11, we hear this. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods. From among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. What we see here in sin is people who know God, 
When they knew what he had done for them, they had experienced God's goodness and blessing and protection and provision. They had experienced that. They knew him to be a God over them, a loving and caring God over them. They knew that. But at some point along the way, out of their own unhealthy desires, they just decided to do other things and go in a different direction and do what they thought was best. It says that very stuff over and over again in the book of Judges. And, very fitting, it also says this in the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Listen to this. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sin is like that. Sin is abandoning the God that has been taking care of you, thinking that you'll now do it better without him, only to find yourself miserable. And yet, because you don't want to admit that you've abandoned the God that takes care of you, you resort to, I'm going to keep doing it the way I think is best. And we run so hard in the wrong direction because we have hard heads and hard hearts. That's the second example from the book of Judges. The third example I want to show you is one that we see a lot in the prophets. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Later in Isaiah, he would say, these people do things for me, but their hearts are far from me. There's a type of sin in the world that thinks it's doing things for God, thinks that it believes in God, but it's not from a heart that loves him. It's not from a heart that rests in his love for them, and so it's sin. That's our third example. My last two examples of sin we're going to find in the New Testament. This one is Matthew chapter 26. You've probably read this this week, or at least I hope. Matthew 26, starting at verse 14, we read this. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Even after all these years of going to church and reading your Bible, that still stings, doesn't it? Judas goes to those guys and says, what will y'all give me if I turn him over to you? Sin looks like that. Sin will bargain. If we can get ourselves highlighted and magnified, if we can get exactly what we want, we'll turn our back on God. We see it with Judas. The fifth example I want to give you is also in Matthew chapter 27. 
Starting in verse 15, it says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. It doesn't take much for us to recognize sin in the world. It doesn't take much for us to recognize sin in our own lives. When we start to look accurately at the truth of God and God being supreme, There's only one God, and he deserves to be loved and worshipped and honored. In a study like this, where we go from Genesis to the New Testament, when we look at things like the time of the judges, the time of the prophets, the New Testament, the time of Jesus, we look at one of his followers, we look at some of his enemies, we see sinfulness everywhere we look. We watch the news, we see sinfulness. We come to church, we see sinfulness. There's sinfulness all around us. Sin sin is anything that is against God, rebellion, defiance, not loving him as we should. We are sinful people. Earlier in Romans, he says, all have sinned. All have sinned. It's important for us to understand this if we're going to really understand what Good Friday is about. I had a conversation with a friend earlier today, and in the midst of us talking, I said, hey, did you, did you know that today was Good Friday? To which he said to me, there isn't anything good about it. There's a real sense. If sin is all that I've just said that it was, if sin is all that it says it is, according to God's truth, that an honest assessment of our day and of our lives is that there isn't much good about it. And if Christ is removed from Good Friday, and the very essence of what Good Friday is, the cross of Christ, him dying for us, if that's not in view, then it's hard to argue that anything is good when all is said and done and sin will get you thinking and feeling that way. So much so that Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So the payment, if we're going to talk payment on a, minimum, on, a, on a wage, the payment is this. But because this is not a positive thing, it's a negative thing, the consequence or the result is death. And that's our third contrast. You got wages, you've got sin, and you've got death. The Bible teaches that anybody that sins dies. 
And what it means there is that we die spiritually. We see that from the very beginning. At the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned against God, they ate that fruit, they rebelled against him, they disobeyed. At the very moment that Adam and Eve did that, they fell into the curse of sin. The whole earth is under a curse because of that. If you'll look in your Bible with me, turn back to Romans 5. I want to show you just a few places where we see this being taught. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The Bible teaches us that every human being is a sinner. We're born sinners. And as soon as we're able to, we sin. All of those examples that I gave earlier, those five examples, show us what sin is like. Lots of different ways to sin. And we all sin differently. But the point here is that sin leads to death. The reason why you and I know that we will die physically is because of the great truth that we're already dead spiritually because of our sins. But that's not the end of the message. The third point is death. And when you hear that the wages of sin is death, it brings us to asking, well, wait a second. Wait a second. Christ didn't sin, so how and why did Christ die? And this becomes the very heart of what Good Friday is. What does this have to do with Jesus if he never sinned? He doesn't have to receive that wage of sin because he never sinned. He didn't sin, so therefore he shouldn't have died. He should not have been rejected. He should not have been beaten. He should not have been crucified. And so where does Christ fit into this? And this becomes the very heart of what Good Friday is. For God so loved the world that he gave his son for us. On the cross, and I know you've been focusing on this over these past few days, but on the cross, Christ hung there as the innocent man, as the one between those other two thieves that did not deserve to be there. In our call to worship passage there from Luke 23, you remember the guard standing by who said, surely this man was innocent, and he was. Christ didn't sin. And so how? And why do we find him in this position of the wages of sin is death? Well, that's what the whole thing's about. That's the whole plan of God. That's what Easter celebrates so much that God did this for us. Look back over to chapter 5. Let's see how the Bible says this. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Look over to chapter 6, verse 10. Chapter 6, verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, the whole view of wages, the whole view of sin, and the whole view of death was in play, yet doing it for us. Christ died so that you don't have to. Christ took the judgment of sin so that you don't have to be judged for your sin. Christ suffered the wrath of God so that you don't have to suffer the wrath of God. Christ took our punishment. Good Friday wants to remember that. Good Friday wants to see that in light of the full message, but Good Friday wants to remember that Christ died for us. Christ want, Good Friday wants to see that there are wages for the way we live and the things we do. There are wages for our sin, our rebellion, our disobedience. We don't want to make those small. We, want to, we don't want to make excuses. We don't want to dismiss those like it's not that big of a deal. We want to see it for all that it is. We want to read those passages in the Old Testament that we've read about, about how man's heart was only evil continually. We want to see those lists in the New Testament of what sinfulness looks like and where it will say, those who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We want to feel that so that upon feeling the heaviness of wages, sin, and death, you, you and I will be incredibly, incredibly strengthened to believe he did that for us. Good Friday is all about that. Any effort for you and I to make little wages, sin, and death is starting to shrink down the work of Christ. Any effort that puts honest assessment on wages, sin, and death in our own lives and then sees that God did that to his son on our behalf magnifies, makes great what Christ has done. I want to read this to you. This is a great book here called Every Moment Holy. I want to read this to you. This is just a little section here talking about the ugliness of sin and death. It says, these are all evidence of the inevitable outworking of the human kingdom. Upbuilding itself, doing violence to reality, while tearing its own very fabric apart. This is the abode of an insatiable absence. The haunt of abominations, now briefly occupied by this clamoring, misbegotten, piecemeal nation formed of the enemies of all flourishing, united only in our allegiance to death's spread and sprawl, wittingly and unwittingly affected in and through us all. This is the human kingdom, now unmasked as the inhuman kingdom. This is the inhuman kingdom, revealed at last as the kingdom of death. To call death natural is a lie. To spin it as but one more spoke upon a will of life is to ignore the groaning cry of all your creatures, O Christ. Death is a catastrophe, an obscene enemy, a poisoned arrow piercing the eye of creation, twisting history and nations, bereaving lovers, warping the constellations of community, of family, of flourishing. And each of us has played our guilty part, 
For we men and women who in our sin first sought God-likeness ushered in instead futility and dread. Long ago, destroying our own immortal thrones in the very act by which we sought to crown ourselves as sovereigns of ourselves. And every generation since has learned at what expense such liberation came. Death is the rock upon which every raging wave of human pride is dashed and proven impotent and tragicomic. Wordy, I know, but painting a picture to us of what wages, sin, and death are like. And yes, we know that focusing on those things alone is dark, it's not fun, doesn't make you smile, it's heavy, we know that. But when you're able to take wages, sin, and death, and then hear God say that he did that for us with his son, it changes the whole aspect. Look back with me, if you will, at Romans 6.23. This verse, as I've already said, is a summary of all of chapter 6, which we'll spend more time on Sunday. But in one little verse, he says, the wages of sin is death, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Since Christ took the wages, took the sin, took the death, since Christ did that for us, there is a contrast to all of those. In place of the wages is a free gift. In place of the sin is a loving God. And in place of death is eternal life. May you and I believe that. May you and I not try to believe that without the wages, sin, and death. May you and I believe that because of the wages, sin, and death. May we be Resurrection Sunday people because we are absolutely Good Friday people. May we believe Romans 6.23, both sides of it. The week before last, I had to do two funerals. And funerals are always kind of all over the place. It depends on what the family's like, what the person was like, how young they were, how old they were, depending on how it goes. But the question always, always comes up. What's going to comfort them in that time? And so in recent years, I've started to say at every funeral I go to, what is the comfort? What's the comfort here? Whether I know the family or don't know the family, whether it was a tragic loss or whether it was an expected loss, I'll say, what's the comfort And then I'll say to them, I think this is the most important question anybody could ever ask anywhere. What's the comfort in life and in death? And if we're being honest with ourselves, that is not an easy question to answer. It's not. Saying that you did well with your job doesn't comfort you. Saying that you've had a long life doesn't comfort you. It's hard to find an answer to that. Romans 6 and Romans 6.23 wants us to feel that in that search for comfort, in that longing for an answer, in that ugly feeling of death, there is this. He died for me. He died in my place. The wages of my life The wages of my sin 
the death that I'm in and the death that I'll feel, the death that I'll one day die, he took for me. Good Friday hears that, feels that, and believes that because Good Friday also knows he's no longer dead. He lives. This Friday night we're here realizing that the world is lost around us. It is so it is such a stressful time. We got worries, we got burdens. People are unhappy all over the place. Wages are real, sin is real, and death is real, and the world is desperate to know what's the comfort. And I want you to hear tonight, that's a hard question to answer. That's a hard question to answer. God says the answer is, he died for you. He died in your place. He took your wages. He took your sin. He took your death. As we look forward to Easter Sunday, may we feel the full effect of being Good Friday people. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this Good Friday. And we thank you, God, for the ability to reflect upon wages, sin, and death, all of which point us to Christ, who should not have died, who did not sin, and therefore did not have the wages of sin. But Father, it is in your great love that he did that for us. We worship you tonight. We praise you for that. Father, make us a people who will repent of our sins and believe in Jesus. God, make us a people who will hate our sins and be thankful for Jesus. Make us a people, God, who will love the one who died for us in our place. And may we find comfort there. In his name we pray, amen.